Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 18th, 2016, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Dr. O'Brien is our special guest this evening, and he is a world expert on gluten and its impact on your health. He's an internationally recognized and sought-after speaker and workshop leader, specializing in the complications of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, celiac disease, and the development of autoimmune diseases as they occur inside and outside of the intestines. He's the founder of the website www.thedoctor, and that's thedr.com, and he's the visionary behind the Gluten Summit, A Grain of Truth, bringing together 29 of the world's experts on the gluten connection to diseases, disorders, and a wide range of symptoms and ages. You can find more info on that at theglutensummit.com. Dr. O'Brien is considered the Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and metabolic disorders. He's a clinician par excellence in treating chronic disease and metabolic disorders from a functional medicine perspective. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute for Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. His 2016 critically acclaimed groundbreaking book, The Autoimmune Fix, outlines the step-by-step development of degenerative diseases and gives the tools to identify our disease process years before the symptoms are obvious. Well, we would like to thank Tammy for hosting the switchboard this evening for those who may have a comment or question for Dr. Tom. And if you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. The toll-free number for starseedhotline.com is 888-881-881. 0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. If you want an interpretation of that, make sure you order it at least two or three months ahead of time. So first this evening, I would like to introduce my uh, co-host and with the Starseed News, here comes Anastasia. (laughs) That was a little backwards, wasn't it? (laughs) That was great. It's always good. Good evening, uh, Starsea listeners, Ariel Lavendar, and our guest. It's just great to be with you tonight. So, man, there's just a lot of stuff happening. So let's talk about the sun. All sunspots right now are quiet and stable, and solar activity remains very low. 
We have come through, however, a, a, a storm of solar radiation that has caused a great deal of talk about auroras in the upper latitudes in the last few days. Some of the pictures on the Internet have been gorgeous. Lime green mixed with hot pink. They've been fabulous. A lot of nitrogen in the air. They say that's what's causing the pink to appear with the green. So anyway, that's going on up north. And in the meantime, tomorrow, the 19th of October, a European Space Agency probe named Schiaparelli will parachute to the surface of Mars following a fiery plunge through the atmosphere. Now, this probe was launched from Earth last March, and it hitched a ride to Mars on board the Trace Gas Orbiter, which is a satellite that will spend the next few years scanning the red planet for chemical signs of life, especially what they call biogenic methane. Now, you know, I try to call it, follow this news uh, closely, but a lot of times things slip through for me, and I just got to thinking, they have sent a satellite up around the Mar Mars to scan it, a satellite. I'm going to have to check on that, guys. That's really intriguing. I thought satellites were kind of confined to our upper atmosphere, so not beyond our atmosphere, our planet, I should say. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Ariel, a satellite orbiting Mars? It can orbit, it can orbit any planet that's got gravity. I guess that's true, but that's a long way. So I'm going to check on that because I I, that stopped me. I thought, hmm, I missed something. Anyway, that's what's going on. should be very interesting. They're giving Mars a great deal of attention. And also, out of uh, uh, some news about astronomical research, physicists have find, found that the universe could contain two trillion galaxies. Uh, and that is a lot, if you think about it. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, that's, it's probably a lot more than that. But anyway, they're very impressed, because astronomers have long wondered how many galaxies might, might exist in the universe. And they have found that it's probably a staggering two trillion. Well, the figure was obtained from Hubble telescope images, and it apparently has shocked scientists who actually estimated the number of galaxies to be at least 10 times smaller than that. Well, the finding, they say, wasn't easy to come by. An international team of scientists examined deep space images taken by the Hubble from over the past 20 years and converted these into 3D pictures. Isn't that fascinating? And from there... They measured the number of galaxies at different times in the history of the universe, going back more than 13 billion years, what they say is near the time of the Big Bang. Now, the researchers also concluded that there must be 90% more galaxies in the observable universe that are just too faint and too far away to be seen. Wow. wow. I'd always thought of it as an infinite, but nevertheless, that's just a lot. Think of all those galaxies. And what does galaxy contain but lots and lots of planets and lots and lots of opportunity for life? Anyway, uh, there has been a rare tornado that hit Manzanita, Oregon. I've been up there. Interesting little place. That's right. Two tornadoes struck the Pacific Northwest on Friday as a major storm system closed in on Oregon and Washington State. Now, the National Weather Service in Portland later raided the Twister and EF2. It did some damage in Manzanita. And that second tornado, it was spotted in Oceanside. So that's pretty rare for that part of the country. Very rare, actually. 
We had a 6.4 magnitude earthquake that was recorded off of Papua New Guinea, and a shallow 4.8 magnitude uh, earthquake uh, shook the Black Sea. It was felt in Istanbul. In Colorado, today, from the Associated Press, firefighters are trying to stamp out a Southern California, color, excuse me, a Southern Colorado wildfire. They say that today they were helped by improved weather conditions, and they're trying to stop that wildfire near Westcliff, Colorado, that has forced the evacuation of hundreds of people in that part of Colorado, which is the southern part, and has destroyed at least two homes. Now, there are still people on standby for possible evacuation, and that includes the residents of the town of Beulah, which was evacuated earlier this month because of another wildfire. Now, no part of the fire that's happening right now is considered contained, and they're working very hard to set up a perimeter around it. Well, I was just commenting to somebody this evening as I was watching my neighbor go into his house, not watching his feet because he was uh, texting on his smartphone. Well, you know, we just see that everywhere. Well, now there's an article out of a, a... Uh, periodical called Evening Standard that says that women prefer smartphones to their partners. Women spend more time on their smartphones than they do with their partners, and this is according to new research. Checking emails, sending texts, and spending time on social media means that women spend on the average 12 hours more per week on their phones than with their loved ones. They say that if people are unable to access their phones, it can lead to stress, anger, and panic. And on a honeymoon, more than a quarter of adults admitted to using their phones to check personal emails, and half of them said they would check social media, and almost one in ten will check in on their work emails. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, this study was done by Bausch & Lomb contact lens manufacturers. And this company found that a fifth of those who took part in their study would find it harder to, to do without a phone for a week than their partners. And psychologists are saying that all of this interaction and addiction with our digital devices creates problems for our eyes. More than half of the people that use digital devices say that their eyes feel tired and they have eye symptoms at the end of the day. So... There we have it. Interesting, though. And uh, this is an interesting story as well. I like to share what's interesting with you. There's something called a taste buddy. What is that? Well, <laughs> it's a device uh, uh, designed to trick your brain into thinking that broccoli tastes like chocolate. <laughs> oh, no gosh. Kidding. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> They say that bland food will soon be a thing of the past after scientists have invented a revolutionary new device which completely alters our sense of taste and may prove to be a breakthrough in the fight against obesity. So you don't want to reach for that chocolate bar. You just use this little device on your broccoli and presto. Bingo, bango. <laughs> British scientists are on the verge of making broccoli taste like chocolate and tofu taste like steak. And researchers at London's Clay, uh, excuse me, London's City University have built a prototype for their device. They've called it the Taste Buddy, as I've already told you, and they say it uses a low-level electrical current to trick your taste buds. <clears throat> that is just amazing. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe that that's healthy for you. Uh, well, no, but I mean, you know, we're going crazy with our with our uh 
electric electric stuff, aren't we, with our mm-hmm. with our devices and our gizmos and our gadgets? It's <laughs> it's really something. When are they going to come out with uh, what they used in Star Trek, a replicator? That's what I want to know. <laughs> we have 3D printing, but I don't know that you can use that to make food. Maybe you can. I don't think so. Anyway, uh, one of these days I'm going to re- be reporting to you about the replicators. Betcha, betcha. Well, researchers have identified a chemical that has the potential to postpone aging and neurodegeneration. They've identified a key factor in the aging process that they're saying could one day lead to longer lives. And how did they discover this? Well, don't get grossed out, but they did a study on mice and roundworms. And they found that adding a chemical known as coenzyme NAD+, postponed physical aging and extends uh, the the subject's lives, in this case, mice and roundworms. Now, it was thought that these effects will be seen in humans as well and could even help to prevent illnesses such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Now, the study came from the University of Copenhagen Center for Healthy Aging and the American National Institute of Health. And uh, they say that, um, that adding NAD+, uh, delays the aging process of the cells and halts mitochondrial damage. And it said that, uh, again, they think that it's going to have major implications in human aging, and uh, that links two leading theories, uh, DNA damage accumulation and mitochondrial dysfunction. So they're working on it. Maybe we will live to be you know, 400 years old someday, but that is how science is approaching that. Uh, not with consciousness, mind you, but in the scientific way. So we'll see where that takes us. Very interesting. And uh, most of our Starseed listeners, if not all of you, are interested in herbs and supplements and and uh, things like that. So I wanted to share this with you. Uh, some of you out there may be familiar with Kratom. And um, the DEA has done something stunning. In fact, it's been a stunning reversal, they say. Uh, the DEA has withdrawn its proposal to ban Kratom and temporarily suspended efforts to make it a Schedule One drug. Now, this move comes after an impassioned Internet-based protest by a group of advocates and activists who contend that this Southeast Asian plant has tremendous medical value. Now, while not a permanent ruling, they say the reversal is extremely unusual for the government agency, which is known for aggressive enforcement of its drug policies. In fact, the DEA spokesperson said that the uh, public reaction fueled their decision. Uh, He said, this was eye-opening for me personally. I want the Kratom community to know that the DEA does hear them. Our goal is to make sure this is available to all of them. Very odd, everybody. Well, the suspension now is going to allow for an extended timetable for public feedback and further analysis, and this will include an evaluation of certain chemicals in uh, Kraton, uh, which I'm, I can't pronounce. But once they once they evaluate those uh, chemicals, they're going to determine whether Americans will be allowed to use uh, this herbal remedy uh, that, by the way, has been safely ingested for thousands of years. But that's really unprecedented and very odd. So mm-hmm. there you have it. Breakthrough thing for people that want to use Kratom. And I'm not even sure I'm saying that right, actually. It might just be Kratom. Anybody want to give me a clue on that? <laughs> okay. 
Well, you know, we often talk about technology and the invasion of privacy, and there was an article in, this, in the Washington Post that I wanted to share with you. Um, Facebook has, uh, what do I want to say, proposed or initiated or is backing a school software that is raising privacy concerns by parents. And the name of this software, maybe some of you have heard of it, is called Summit Basecamp. And it's been built with the help of Facebook engineers. They're billing it as a powerful tool that could reshape how students learn. Well, dozens of schools nationwide have signed up to use this program, and it tailors lessons to individual students using software that tracks their progress. But it also captures a stream of data, and parents have to sign a consent form for children to participate. And that consent form allows their personal data, the children's personal data, to be shared with companies such as Facebook and Google and who knows whom else. But that data, the form said, could include names, email addresses, schoolwork, grades, and their Internet activity. And although Summit Basecamp has promised to limit its use of information, barring it from being used, for example, to deliver targeted ads, but parents are deeply worried over whether to sign the form. Now, one mother has said, I'm not comfortable with having my kids' personally identifiable information going to I don't even know where to be used for I'm not sure what. And as the Summit program and others like it are starting to expand, parental concerns are emerging at, a, at an accelerated rate. And this is highlighting the tension between the promise that corporations make and the potential perils of new classroom technologies. So education experts are warning people that while using computers to personalize teaching might appear transformative, its effectiveness remains largely unproven. And i got a story about unicorns tonight. It turns out that unicorns are not mystical fairy tales. No, no. And scientists have the fossils to prove it. Well, that got me so excited. Well, here's the catch. <laughs> According to new discoveries, unicorns, real unicorns, are not pretty horses with wings and horns. They say that the real unicorn, known as, oh, can I say this? I'll try it. Elasmotherium sibiricum. That uh, unicorn looks more like a rhinoceros. And um, they say that this was a hairy rhinoceros. And unlike modern-day rhinos, however, this one had one great big giant horn. Now, scientists originally thought that the Siberian unicorn, as it is known, went extinct about 350,000 years ago. But a well-preserved fossilized skull was recently found in Kazakhstan, which proved the creatures were still roaming the Earth only 29,000 years ago. And that means they were alive the same time humans were on Earth, according to established uh, according to a study published in the American Journal of Applied Sciences. They say the real unicorn was about six feet tall, measured 15 feet long, and weighed about 8,000 pounds, and they were herbivores. But what I find interesting about that story is that when we look at our myths, and um, you know, people say, well, they're just myths. Well, they arise uh, from ancient antiquity, and I find it really intriguing that this type of animal um, roamed the earth when people were here. And, you know, Who's to say? There just might be uh, horses with horns and wings that science hasn't found yet. You know, it could be. Mm -hmm. So they like to spoil our fun. 
And I'm <laughs> certainly not saying there aren't unicorns at all. I personally think there are. But anyway, that's just I'm just saying I'm just giving you the news here tonight. Okay. Well, uh, do you guys know what's going on over in Egypt? It's been going on for a while, but this was in today's news. They say the use of cosmic rays, space particles, are revealing two secret chambers in Egypt's Great Pyramid. What do you think about that? Hmm. Two secret chambers have been discovered in Egypt's 4,500-year-old Great Pyramid of Giza. Researchers confirmed that they had found the mysterious cavities after scanning the centuries-old tomb using revolutionary radiography equipment. The, the name of this operation is called Operation Scan Pyramids, and their scientists said, quote, We are now able to confirm the existence of a void hidden behind the North Face that could have the form of at least one corridor going inside the Great Pyramid. And another, end quote, by the way, and another cavity was discovered on the pyramid's northeast flank, but there is certainly no link, they are currently no link between the two cavities. They, they're not being able to see if they link up or not. Now, this project applies a mix of infrared thermography, muon radiography imaging, and 3D reconstruction, all of which the researchers say are non-invasive and non-destructive techniques. Isn't that remarkable? Wow. I've often wondered. I thought we had the science to <clears throat> to take a look inside, and sure enough, we do. Well, our final story for tonight is about what's going on over in Switzerland, in Geneva. There has been a UFO that's lit up Geneva. They say that people have been confounded by the appearance of an inexplicable flying object in the skies above Geneva, leading some to speculate about extraterrestrial activity. The UFO appeared last Wednesday... Uh, near the Geneva Stadium, and footage of this unusual dark circular object was captured by many witnesses, with several people posting photos and videos. So if you want to check that out, it will be on the Internet. You might be able to find that on Facebook as well, if you're into Facebook. Everybody was surprised. People were saying, everybody sees this the same as me. It's completely crazy. They're posting things like UFO above the industrial area behind the stage. And one witness told a newspaper in Geneva that the UFO emitted a shrill noise and was as big as a plane. So, I tell you, people see things and they're blown away, but there they have it. It's right there. Take a look right in front of you. Right. So that's it for tonight's news. It's going to be a really tremendous program. I was just talking to somebody just yesterday about gluten sensitivity, and I think this is a topic for our time, I'll tell you, particularly with the increase in autoimmune disorders and problems that people are having. And in my work, I just see increased poor health. So this is a great service for uh, this guest to come on and talk to us tonight, and um, I hope that we can at some point in the future rebroadcast this. I think it's really good stuff to know. A lot of Starseed are real hip to this, but, you know, uh, there's always more to learn, and I sure want to hear what he has to say. Well, so I'm going to turn it over to you, Ari. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so I know much you will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for the Starseed news, Anastasia. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, we'll and, be together next um, week. That's right. Um, so right now I am going to first get Lavendar's mic open. And then our guest, Dr. Tom O'Brien, I'll get your mic open. Okay. Well, Dr. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. 
uh, we're so happy that you're here. Uh, Lavendar is going to lead it off for us, so Lavendar, take it away. Well, <clears throat> Dr. Tom, we're so happy that you're bringing this information to our star seeds. So let me ask you, how did you get involved with this autoimmune condition? Oh, what is it that stimulated well, you to go in this direction? Well, there's there have been a number of events. The first one, my ex and I couldn't get pregnant in 1977, and uh, no, 1979, and I called the seven most famous holistic doctors I'd ever heard of, and I was an intern at the time and didn't know anything, you know, and said, what do you do for infertility? They all told me what they do, and I put a program together, and we were pregnant in six weeks. And my neighbors in married housing, we lived on campus at the time, they asked if I'd work with them, and they had been through artificial insemination and nothing had worked. So I said, well, you know, I don't think it'll hurt you, sure. They were pregnant in three months. So before I came out into practice, I was hot to trot to help every couple get pregnant, um, everyone that I could. And, and we've helped hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. And I found, you know, there's not much in medicine that's all or every, but this is an every. Every woman or man that had hormone imbalances or hormone dysfunction, every single one of them had foods that they were eating that they didn't know were bad for them. Uh, food sensitivity, sometimes allergies, sometimes not, but every single one of them. And when we'd identify the foods that were giving their bodies problems, it just didn't make their stomachs sick, so they didn't know when they ate it that they were getting a problem. Uh, every single one of them, when you get those offensive foods out, they start functioning better. You know, we all know that every disease at the cell level, every disease is an inflammatory disease. That means that the cells are on fire. So the first rule of thumb is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. So you have to find out what the fire is for you as an individual. And the, uh, the most common food we found people sensitive to was wheat. Second most common was dairy, and this was back in 1979, and our daughter was born in 1980, and she just had a little girl. My first grandchild was born uh, three months ago, and so, you know, life continues. And, uh, uh, but that was 30, 35 years ago. Um, so let me ask you, what is the test that, do you do an allergy test? Do you scratch on the arm and put a, uh, that uh, sensitivity there, or, or how, how do you find when a person's sensitive to food? Well, that's a really good question, and over the years, the only test for a wheat sensitivity has been a test that looks at one component of poorly digested wheat. This is how we have to take a step back to, to get this one. Mrs. Patient, this is how I say to patients, Mrs. Patient, proteins are like a pearl necklace. Hydrochloric acid, and then that's made in your stomach, undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And our digestive enzymes act like scissors to cut the pearl necklace into smaller clumps of the pearl necklace, smaller and smaller and smaller, until you cut the clumps into individual pearls of the pearl necklace. Those are called amino acids. Well, when you break down the proteins into amino acids, now they're small enough to fit through the cheesecloth. 
There is a cheesecloth on the inside lining of your intestines. So when you eat food, those big clumps of food, because you don't chew well enough, those big clumps of food can't get into your bloodstream. They've got to be broken down by the enzymes into really tiny little molecules. And it is the uh, cheesecloth that prevents those mole- uh, the clumps of food from getting into the bloodstream. So the problem with wheat, and Harvard just published a study on this last year, is that no human has the ability to break down the pearl necklace of wheat. No one does. That, that the best we can do is to break it into clumps of pearls. We can't break it down into the individual pearl necklace. The clumps of pearls are called peptides, and they're too big to get through the cheesecloth. But one of the things that happens with the cheesecloth is that it can get torn. And if it gets torn, now bigger clumps of the pearl necklace can get through into the bloodstream. They're called peptides. And when peptides get into the bloodstream, your immune system that's always trying to protect you says, whoa, what is this? This is not something I can use to make new bone cells or brain cells. I better fight this. And then your immune system makes antibodies to fight that clump of the pearl necklace. And if the clump of the pearl necklace that got into the bloodstream is chicken, now you make antibodies to chicken. Or if it's wheat, now you make antibodies to wheat. So the blood test to look for a wheat sensitivity has always looked at one clump of the pearl necklace from poorly digested wheat. That one clump is called alpha-glidin. And every doctor will do a blood test, and they, they say they're looking for wheat, but they're not. They're looking for antibodies to one clump of poorly digested wheat. Now, the science tells us that there's over 62 clumps of the pearl necklace that can trigger an immune response from wheat. 62. Well, why are the labs only checking one? There is no reason for that. There is no explanation. They just haven't gotten around to doing it. A lab came out five years ago. That's why people can get a blood test for wheat, and it comes back and says, no problem. But they know if they don't eat wheat for a little bit, they feel better. And the doctor says, well, it must be stress because, see, here's the blood test, and people don't know to argue with them about that. Well, a laboratory came out five years ago called Cyrex Labs, C-Y-R-E-X, Cyrex Labs. And it's CyrexLabs.com. It's also on my website. You can learn about it. They look at the top ten clumps of the pearl necklace. So you don't get the false negatives anymore. If the standard blood test comes back looking at alpha-glidin and it says you got a problem, you've got a problem. But if it comes back and says you don't have a problem, you can't say that you, you don't have a problem with wheat. All you can say is that you don't have a problem with that one clump of poorly digested wheat. That's why Cyrex Labs has been so well-received in the last five years. Is that the first, They're the first lab in the world to look at multiple clumps of the pearl necklace. So that's the test that you can do, and that's on my website. You can learn more about it or go to CyrexLabs.com and learn more there. Wow. That's really I, – I love the, 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 the way that you're explaining this. So tell us more about the things that you have uh, learned through the years that would help sure. us to understand more about inflammation and how to, how to treat our immune system. 
Well, one of the things I want to tell you is that someone referenced chocolate and how much they love chocolate. And uh, um, <laughs> I want to tell you that I think everyone should have a little dark chocolate every day. It's one of my recommendations. And in my book, I explain why. But here's the pearl on that. Um, chocolate um, has many, many scientific benefits. Lowers blood pressure, uh, uh, lowers total cholesterol level, lowers the bad cholesterol, raises the good cholesterol, got, uh, stimulates the happy hormones called endorphins. It's got a lot of benefits for you. The problem is eating too much chocolate and you gain weight and it throws your blood sugar out of balance. So how do you have chocolate every day? and it be healthy and safe for you. Here's how you do it. You buy the very best dark chocolate that you can get your hands on, 70% or higher, but the very best. Read the label. There shouldn't be a whole lot of garbage in there. It should be words that you understand for ingredients. That's the first thing. So buy the very best chocolate you can and take one square of that dark chocolate, put it under your tongue. Don't let it touch your teeth. Let it sit there. It's going to dissolve over the course of two to three minutes. When it's dissolving, the taste buds are carrying the message up to the brain, oh, chocolate's here. Chocolate. And you start producing those hormones called endorphins and encephalons that are 200 times more powerful than morphine. So by having one square of chocolate over two to three minutes carrying the message directly to your brain, you get all the benefits of chocolate without eat, having to eat a half a bar or a bar and throw your blood sugar out of balance. That's how you have dark chocolate every day and get your bang for the buck. And I tell my patients, if you want more after one square, have another square. I've never had a patient that's had more than two squares, ever, if you don't let it touch your teeth. So that's the healthy way to have dark chocolate every day. That's just a little pearl for everybody that usually puts a smile on women's faces because they love chocolate so much. And well, here's a way to have it and have it regularly. Well, I'm, gr- I'm grinning now from ear to ear. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Um, so I think can the I message... Just, can I interject here just a minute? Uh, Lavendar, something course. has happened to your phone line, so I'm getting a lot of interference. So, um, really? If you would, yes. Just yes, I, I hear Tom. it also. Ask Dr. Tom another question, and then while he's answering, you call back in. Okay, Lavendar? Okay, I'll call back in now. Okay, oh, uh, let me question. ask you about uh, inflammation, and then I'll come sure. back. Okay. Sure. There, there it goes. Okay. Great. Good catch. Good catch on that. So, folks, um, every degenerative disease, every disease, as far as I know, at the cellular level, is a disease of inflammation. The cell is on fire. That's why you've all heard uh, to live an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, whatever that means, but that's why, is because it's the inflammation that fuels the fire and the diseases progress. So the first rule of thumb in wanting to be healthier, the first rule of thumb, because well, you have to find out Is it your kidney cells or your brain cells that are having the problem? And is it gasoline or kerosene? Is it wheat? Is it dairy? Is it potatoes? What is it that's that's fueling the fire? And once you find out the rule of thumb to reverse diseases, I don't care what disease it is, the rule of thumb is stop throwing gasoline on the fire. 
You just have to find out where's the fire coming from and where's it manifesting. So someone comes in with skin problems. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the example of a 16-year-old girl and mom brings her in to the doctor because her she's gotten acne and it's gotten worse in the last year and she's all upset because, you know, a young teenage girl um, and her skin's not looking good. So most doctors would immediately want to give some antibiotic to clean up the skin, you know, to make the skin look a little bit better. Rarely does that work permanently or completely, but it usually helps a little bit. And so the uh, uh, patients will take it because it's helped a little bit. But if the doctor were to take a full history, they would see that that child, I'm going to make this up, but I've seen it so many times in my practice, that child was not born by natural childbirth. That child was born by C-section. When a child is born by C-section, they don't get the good bacteria in their gut to start life off with. The bacteria that they get in their, because they don't come down the birth canal from mom, the bacteria that they get is the bacteria that's in the hospital delivery room, uh, whatever that bacteria is that's in the air and on, on the surface of the people that are helping with the delivery. So the child's good bacteria in the gut are minimal to non-existent from the time they're born. These are the kids, they get allergies and they get recurrent ear infections when they're growing up. And the history would say this child had many ear infections and antibiotics 10, 15 times when they were a child. And of course, every dose of antibiotic kills the good guys in your gut and which encourages more of the bad guys. So if a doctor sees this young lady at 16 who's coming in for skin problems and acne, her skin's on fire, what we now know, the science is really clear that the gut has so much to do with how the skin looks and how the skin functions. But if the doctor's just concerned with giving something to fix temporarily the look of the skin, that's like your car is blowing black smoke out the exhaust pipe and you treat the exhaust pipe. You don't <laughs> treat the exhaust pipe. You've got to go back and figure out why is the engine blowing black smoke out the exhaust pipe. And in this example I gave, I just gave you, the way to fix that young girl's skin so that she's got radiant skin for the rest of her life is to fix her gut, to repopulate the gut with the good bacteria. That's an example of the concept called functional medicine, that we're looking for what's not functioning right, not just the black smoke coming out the exhaust, whether it's manifesting as acne on the skin or rheumatoid arthritis or early Alzheimer's and dementia, whatever the symptoms are. For example, with Alzheimer's, Dr. Dale Bredesen runs the Buck Research Institute at UCLA. That's the Alzheimer's Research Institute. He's the head there. And he published a paper in November of 2014 completely reversing Alzheimer's in 9 out of 10 people over five years, completely reversing it. If they were in an Alzheimer's uh, facility because they couldn't live at home, they were able to go back and live at home with their families. If they were living at home with their families but they couldn't work anymore, they were able to go back to work. Nine out of ten people over five years. And how do you do it? There's a 34-point checklist. 
Do they have gluten sensitivity? Do they have dairy sensitivity? Do they have a leaky gut? Do they have elevated homocysteine levels? Do they have vitamin deficiencies? You just go down the checklist and you look to see where's the black smoke coming from out the exhaust pipe. Where's it coming from? That's functional medicine. And it just blew everybody away, but it didn't make the front page of every paper in the country. And it's from the head of the research institute at UCLA. Why? Because there's no profit in this. And it, it, it rattles the boat of the entire pharmaceutical industry and the billions of dollars that are going into Alzheimer's research to find the cure. You aren't going to find a cure. This is a disease that's decades long. Nobody gets Alzheimer's in their 60s or 70s. You get Alzheimer's in your 20s and 30s. And there's measurable markers that you can see if you know what to look for. It just takes years of slowly killing off brain cells, slowly killing off brain cells, slowly killing off brain cells until it becomes obvious. And as you get older and you have less cells and the fire continues, you kill off more cells quicker. But it takes decades to happen. That's the world of functional medicine. So what I've done in this book, The Autoimmune Fix, I wrote many, many of these concepts and I wrote about where do they come from? Where do these concepts come from? What is it that's going on in our bodies? What is it that's going on? And when you read the science, we think cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of getting sick and dying. And we think cancer is number two. Well, the National Institute of Health tells us that 22 million people a year are diagnosed with cardiovascular disease, 9 million people a year are diagnosed with cancer, but 24 million people a year are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. And they tell us only one out of three are diagnosed, which means there are 72 million people in the U.S. today with an autoimmune disease, card-carrying autoimmune diseases. Not just on the spectrum you're going to get it, but rather you got it already. The next point to bring up is that cardiovascular disease is autoimmune when it begins. Cancer is autoimmune when it begins. Mrs. Patient, if you pull at a chain, the chain breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end. Your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys, wherever your genetic weak link is, that's where the chain's going to break. So maybe it's your heart, maybe it's your brain, maybe it's your kidneys, maybe it's your joints, maybe it's blood sugar. But the more you pull on the chain, the more likely that link's going to break. And so the concept of functional medicine is to look to see where's it all coming from. What's causing the uh, black smoke coming out the exhaust pipe? And the primary mechanism, the primary mechanism is your immune system trying to protect you and killing off some of your own cells. That's what the book is about, and that's what our upcoming event, November 14th, is called Betrayal. It's all about that. I traveled the world for the last year. I put over 150,000 air miles traveling, and I interviewed the world leaders on autoimmunity in Leipzig, Germany, in Barcelona, in Lisbon, in London, in Dublin, in Sao Paulo, and I interviewed the world leaders and just talked to them about this thing about autoimmunity. And I, I could interpret what they were saying into everyday language so that we can all understand it. And we're putting it all together online for free, for free, for seven days, November 14th through November 20th. 
and everyone is welcome to attend. If you go to BetrayalSeries.com, BetrayalSeries, S-E-R-I-E-S, BetrayalSeries.com, it's, um, you, you, you can register there, and we'll send you the announcements when we're ready to go. And what you'll learn, what you'll learn is this whole mechanism of what's going on in our bodies. The number one mechanism for getting sick and dying is our immune system trying to protect us and causing collateral damage. So I'll take a pause now, and we'll do some questions. <laughs> okay. Wow. So is, is there? Is, I, I call back in. Is it better now? Yes. Yes. So okay, yeah, a little bit. There's there's still something in the background, but it's not as bad. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about the inflammation with weight gain. Can you talk about that? You bet. You bet. Um, for people who are seriously trying, I mean, you're really trying. And you're not cheating and having ding-dongs every once in a while. You're really trying. But you can't seem to lose the weight. Your body is stuck. It's locked. It's locked into a metabolism that's not going to let go. And so that's the exhaust coming out, or that's the black smoke coming out the exhaust pipe. That's how it's expressing itself. It's not brain fog. It's rather your metabolism is not going to burn the calories. So the question is, why is that? What's the emergency break that's holding back the change for the good effort that you're putting out? There's no magic pill that's going to work for you. You know, guys, save your money. Save your money. It's lifestyle changes that make the difference. So what is it? Where's the emergency break that's holding you back? What is it? And the most common emergency break, there are others, but the most common one when you've been really faithful trying to do this and you've seen the doctor and the doctor says he can't figure out what's wrong, he believes you're cheating and you're not, the most common emergency break is the bad ratio of the bacteria in your gut. That if there's only one thing you did to be healthy, if there's only one thing that you had control over, what would it be? It would be to have a healthy gut microbiome. Nothing is more important. For example, for every one message from the brain going down to the gut to tell it what to do, there are nine messages from the gut going back up to the brain to tell it what to do. That the microbiome in your gut, the good bacteria in your gut, and the bad bacteria, I mean that whole family, all the families that are there, they control how much nerve hormones you make called neurotransmitters, which ones get secreted when, how much enzymes your heart makes, uh, how much your thyroid works, that it's the bacteria in the gut. Some of you have heard that we have just about the same number of genes as the earthworm. You talked about the study on NAD+, and uh, and, uh, uh, that they, they were looking at mice and they were looking at earthworms. Well, NAD+, um, uh, we've known about that for years and years. Uh, it stands for nicotinamide adenine not dinucleotide. I used to use it in my practice. It really is a good thing to use. Um, um, it's the last step before the production of ATP. ATP is the energy in every cell of your body. So when you take NAD+, sometimes you get more energy. Your metabolism just picks up. Uh, so it's it's a really good substance. And, yes, they're now saying that when they give it to animals, the animals seem to be living longer. Yes, because it turns on the genes for longevity. 
That's true. That, that it's, it's really a good thing. But where is the emergency brake holding you back? When you can't lose weight, the most common emergency brake is that you've got too much of the bad bacteria, not enough of the good bacteria in your gut. And there are so many studies. You know, I'm a geek. I just read the studies. You know, I love reading studies. And there are so many studies now talking about the importance of the bacteria in the gut on the development of the brain in utero and how these babies develop, uh, on the function of the brain, on the uh, development of our muscle coordination. It's the bacteria in the gut that has a big role to play in most functions of our body. And because we grew up on Coca-Cola and Mountain Dew and Twinkies and all the other garbage that we eat, and we think, well, it's okay to have a little once in a while, what that stuff does is it feeds the bad bacteria in the gut so they grow, and it kills off the good bacteria so they don't grow. And we've all got some bad bacteria in our guts. We all do, but there's so much of the good bacteria, they just overpower the bad guys, and the bad guys don't have a chance. But when you throw garbage down there, you know, what's on the end of your fork is the most powerful tool you have to get healthy. When you throw more garbage down there, you kill off the good bacteria. That allows the bad bacteria to really thrive now. And there is this ratio called bacterioides to firmicutes. That's two different families of bacteria. When that ratio gets knocked out of balance, your gut becomes more like the gut of the Pima Indians. So let me explain to you what that means. Pima Indians live in the southwest, in the four corners of the southwest, and, and down into Mexico. They've been there for thousands and thousands of years. And I shouldn't say that. At least a thousand years. I don't know about how many thousands of years, but they've been there at least a thousand years. How did they survive? Because you can't grow crops in that desert. Where's the food? There's not much. So how did they survive? Those that survived and reproduced children, those that survived were those that were very, very efficient at using whatever calories they could get. So if they got a little meat out of a cactus, they could hoard and use all of the calories from it. Whatever they got to eat, they had, and who controls the calorie utilization? It's the bacteria in your gut. It's a family of bacteria called the Firmicutes family. So... Those that survived had high levels of firmicutes, so they could hoard the calories of everything that they take in. Those that didn't have good bacteria uh, ratios in the gut for survival, they died, and they didn't reproduce. But those that, those that survived and reproduced, it's always through the mother's lineage that the bacteria goes to the next baby. Uh, so... They had high firmicutes, and then the babies were born. They had high firmicutes, so their bodies would utilize calories and uh, high efficient at utilizing calories, and they survived. Now fast forward to the 1920s and the 1930s. Now here comes the U.S. government and putting this tribe of Indians on reservations down in the Four Corners or wherever the reservations were. Now these people are eating the garbage food uh, from the American government, all the canned food. And the next generation, they're eating the Twinkies and they're eating the French fries and all the garbage that we all have access to at 7-Eleven. But they've got the bacteria in their gut 
that's high firmicutes. So what happens? They hoard calories. They utilize calories. They store calories. That is why today the Pima Indians of today, 50% of the Pima Indians are morbidly obese and have type 2 diabetes by the age of 35. And no one can figure out why, but the scientists are really clear about it. It's the ratio of the bacteria in the gut. So when you can't lose weight and you're really being sincere and trying to make this work with the things you're learning, it's likely that your bacterioides to firmicutes ratio is out of balance and you got too much firmicutes. They've so done let me study- ask you, how, how do you find that out? You do a stool test. It's a simple stool test. You can find out about it on my, my site. Uh, or many doctors, many functional medicine doctors do these stools. You just do a simple stool sample, set it in. We look for the bad bacteria. We look for the good bacteria. We see are there markers of inflammation in your gut. And you start to get some tools, some, some information to make wise choices and develop a strategy to, to deal with the problem that you're dealing with, whether it's inability to lose weight or bad skin or irregular heartbeats or brain fog or hormone irregularities going through a change of life and you're just not someone to be around. You know, whatever your symptoms are, you don't treat the exhaust pipe. Of course, you want to feel better, so you do something for the symptoms, but you got to ask the question, where are the symptoms coming from? That's what my book is about, is this common sense stuff. And that's what betrayal is about. But I, I interviewed the world leaders for this so that everyone can start asking informed questions. And I know that if I can get a million people in attendance for betrayal, it's online and it's free, If I can get a million people, I know that we're going to move the needle of awareness in traditional medicine, not alternative medicine because many people know some of this already, Uh, but in traditional medicine. They're going to start asking questions because they're going to listen to these professors who are world famous talking about this stuff because I asked them the specific questions that I wanted this message to go out on about autoimmunity. And when you hear Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld from Tel Aviv University in Israel talk about why vaccines sometimes are a problem. Uh, And he says, Dr. O'Brien, I am very much in favor of vaccinations. Let me be clear. They save millions and millions of lives. However, if the person has HLA-DRB1, that's a gene, and 30% of the population has that gene, if a person carries HLA-DRB1, they are very vulnerable to having a severe reaction to the vaccination. So with those people, caution is advised in how quickly and how many vaccines you deliver at one time. Perhaps you apply the vaccines at a slower pace so their body can adapt. Perhaps. But if you don't check, you don't know. But that's why a million kids a year, that's one reason why a million kids a year are now diagnosed with autism in the U.S., a million kids a year. Yes, vaccines are a contributor to this problem. There's more to it, but it's those kids that have HLA-DRB1 that are very high risk with the vaccinations they receive. Wow. You have just really set a huge um thing here. I mean, that is just awesome. I wanted to ask you about things to put in your stomach, like is kabuchi, does it put the good stuff in? 
Kombucha is mm-hmm. an excellent fermented vegetable. We've all heard that yogurt's good for you. Well, maybe it was really good for you in 1908 when Mechnikov published the papers on it, and he, he got a Nobel Prize for that, and he was right. But that yogurt they made at home with raw milk. What people don't tell you is that, you know, you buy yogurt in the store, and it says on the label it's got 10 billion colony-forming units on it, and I'm sure it did when they made the yogurt you know, in the manufacturing facility. But remember, it stays there for a couple of days in their refrigeration. It gets shipped out to the local distribution center for your supermarket, stays there for a couple of days, then it gets shipped to the local supermarket, sits on the back room you know, in the refrigerator for a day or two, and then it goes back on the shelves uh, in the refrigerator section of the shelves, and then you finally get your hands on it. What nobody tells you is that bacteria can't grow in pasteurized milk. So as soon as it's put into the pasteurized milk in the manufacturing facility, it starts to die. So you no longer have 10 billion colony-forming units in there. Now, you make your yogurt at home, and it's loaded with good bacteria. Uh, and it, you, you're going to eat it within a couple of days, so it's not all going to die off. In terms of kombucha, kombucha is the same way. It's a great, great product, and uh, one of, and I include that as one of the recommendations to our people. And I'll tell you the recommendation in a minute. But you also have to be aware, people buy kombucha. Manufacturers say, hey, people buy kombucha. Let's make kombucha. So we have uh, Pepsi-Cola now making kombucha, or Coca-Cola now making kombucha. They bought the companies, and they're now making it. And you, make, you, you know for sure they're trying to cut their costs so they have higher profit margins. So you, you can't categorically say that anything is great for you anymore. You have to do your due diligence and your homework to find out who are the good companies. But in general, kombucha is a great product for you, a great product. So here's the recommendation that I give to people. Mrs. Patient, two things, three things, three things you're going to do every day, three things. One, you're going to... Um, Go to Whole Foods or any other natural food store and buy five different types of fermented vegetables. Just make sure they're not pasteurized. Five different types. It might be sauerkraut. It might be kimchi. It might be curry-flavored. It might be uh, fermented beets. It might be Italian-flavored. Get five different types. Keep them in the refrigerator. Fermented vegetables are producing the good bacteria that live in our guts because it's the fermenting of vegetable fiber that produces the bacteria in our guts. That's why you have to eat lots of vegetables. So when you eat fermented vegetables, they're already producing the good bacteria, so you're inoculating yourself with just abundant amounts of good bacteria. And you switch out the vegetables every day, every couple of days, so that you get different families of bacteria because every vegetable, when it starts to ferment, produces different strains of lactobacillus or bifidobacterium or actinobacteria. They produce different strains. So you don't just eat sauerkraut every day. You have sauerkraut once in a while. You have kimchi once in a while. You have curry flavor once in a while. You say, oh, I don't like the flavor of that. Well, I don't care if you like it or not. Take it anyway. It's just one forkful. It's not going to kill you, and it certainly is going to help you. So, and I shouldn't say it like that, you know, because some people may, may, may have an allergy or something, and so that's certainly possible. But the idea is this is not for flavor enhancement. 
This is to re-inoculate with the good bacteria in the gut. That's number one. Number two, go online and go to Google and type in list of prebiotic foods, P-R-E, prebiotic foods. And down comes the list. And there's many, many foods that are prebiotics. Prebiotics feed the probiotics, the good bacteria in your gut. Every day, Mrs. Patient, you're going to have at least two prebiotic foods with all the food that you eat. For example, onions are prebiotic, garlic's prebiotic, artichokes are prebiotic, bananas are prebiotic. You just get the list and you just pick two of them every day and you rotate them around. Don't eat the same ones or else you're only going to feed the same family of bacteria in your gut. So you rotate around the prebiotics every day. So you're having a little fermented vegetables every day. You're having a little prebiotic every day. And the third thing is colostrum. Get the best colostrum you can and take colostrum every day. Why? The first three days of mother's milk is not breast milk. It's colostrum. There are many purposes for colostrum, but a couple of the purposes include when the infant, the newborn infant, starts sucking at mom's teat and gets that colostrum, the colostrum goes down into the gut and it turns on the genes that say, okay, gut, let's close those leaky borders now because every newborn baby has severe intestinal permeability. It's normal for a baby in utero to have intestinal permeability. Why? Because they're living in a soup, and there's no reason why not. So they're in the womb, they're in this soup, and so they're very permeable. So nutrients can come in and out uh, through many different pathways. But once they're born, and they're not living in the soup anymore, you've got to close those borders inside the gut that are wide open. That's called intestinal permeability, and colostrum turns on the genes to heal intestinal permeability. And what you're going to learn in betrayal is that intestinal permeability is the gateway in the development of autoimmune disease. Autoimmune disease, number one cause of getting sick and dying. So one of the things you want to make sure of is that you have a really healthy gut with microbiome and you do not have intestinal permeability. So everyone should take colostrum. And just a little bit, maybe a teaspoon to a tablespoon, you don't need a lot. Just a little bit every day to turn the genes on to heal the gut, heal the gut, heal the gut. That is the dance that I do on stage with so many doctors. And I get them laughing because it's pretty silly looking when I do the gut dance. But it's to really reinforce <laughs> for them how important it is to heal the gut. When you want to stop the development of autoimmunity, and you'll read it in my book. The book's called The Autoimmune Fix. Or when you watch Betrayal and listen to the world experts on this, what you're going to learn, it's critically important to heal the gut. So the three things that everyone should do, a little bit of fermented vegetables every day, a little bit of prebiotic every day, and a little bit of colostrum every day. Wow. Where do you get colostrum? Where do, where do you find that? Well, you know, there are many, many sources of colostrum, but I personally recommend the one that's on my website is the very best in the world, and I'm not just saying that. My friend, Dr. Andrew Keach, was born and raised on a dairy farm in New Zealand. And he learned really quick as a child, if you don't give those newborn calves colostrum, they die within a week. You can't give them milk. They need colostrum or they die. He then learned that humans, when they were sick, if they took colostrum, they got better. 
So he decided to devote his life to making colostrum. So he went to Oxford, England, and got a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering. So when I met him, I said, Andrew, I get it. Oxford, way to go, man. High five. I gave him high five. I said, but <laughs> mechanical engineering, what? What? And he said, well, Tom, I realized that I was going to make the best colostrum in the world, and no one was doing it, so I was going to have to build the equipment to do it. So I had to learn to build the equipment. So Andrew spent eight years. You know, that's like a true farmer. He's got the vision of what he wants to do. He's got his nose to the grind. Side of Phoenix, his uh, $18 million facility, and he does make the best colostrum in the world. His colostrum is so good that six countries of Africa license this product as the treatment of choice for HIV and AIDS, and the government pays for it. And that's the same colostrum that's on my website. It's called GS Immuno Pro. GS Immuno Pro. GS is for gluten sensitivity. Immuno Pro. That is the best colostrum in the world. But any colostrum is better than no colostrum. Wow. Got to get me some of that right away. Right away. So tell us more stories about things that you've experienced with people that come to you that are really sick and how you've been able to turn them around and, and make them well again with with your information. Oh, you have, well, you, you know. tell us about people? Yeah, you know, if, uh, if you're sincere and if you're going to be compliant, you're going to get well. Every cell in your body wants to regenerate. Every cell. You have a whole new body every seven years. Almost everybody's heard that once or twice. And that's true. It's about every seven years. Some cells are really quick. Like the inside lining of your gut is every three to seven days, like the skin of a snake. And some cells are really slow, like your bone cells. They take years to reproduce, but you reproduce every cell in your body. So if, you're re- if your thyroid is functioning, I'm going to make this up, your thyroid is functioning at a 5.3 on a scale of 1 to 10. When that cell reproduces, you don't reproduce a 10, although your genes say 10. You reproduce a 5.3. But if you keep living the lifestyle that uh, caused you to degenerate, you start functioning as a 5.2. And when that cell regenerates, you you, you reproduce a 5.2. And if you continue with a lifestyle that's wearing you down, eating the wrong foods and too much stress, not enough sleep, not enough exercise, you start functioning as a 5.1. And when that cell regenerates, you regenerate as a 5.1. And that's getting old. That process is called a catabolic process. But when you come in and we do some testing and you say, oh, look, you've got this, this, and this going on. Uh, I, I love the people that come to us and say, I've been to Mayo Clinic and they don't know what's wrong. And I say, oh, that's great. And they look at me like I'm a nutcase. I say, that's great. Because if you had a disease, Mayo would find it. You don't have a disease, so I don't have to worry about that. You've got dysfunction. Let's see what's not functioning right. And that's when you do a whole different kind of testing. You do a stool test to look to see what kind of bacteria is in your gut. You do a a stool test to see, do you have inflammation in your gut? You do a blood test to see, do you have food sensitivities? And you're throwing gasoline on the fire by the foods that you're eating. You look for functional tests, not for disease tests. And then when the patient comes back and they're all nervous, you know, the second visit, they're sitting there and, I say, good news, you're a mess. And they start laughing. I say, good news, because we, we can fix all this. This is all fixable. So you should get better. So it doesn't matter. 
what it is you come in with. It doesn't matter. You got cancer, it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying we cure cancer. I'm not making any claims like that. But every single patient should notice within three weeks of applying the protocols that your doctor tell you to apply, if they make sense to you to do them, within three weeks, you better be feeling better. If you're not, something's wrong. We missed something. And my friend, Dr. David Jones, is the president emeritus of the Institute for Functional Medicine. He's the elder, you know, that has guided so many of us. And David tells the story. When he's in with the patient, he walks into the room, sits down with them, looks at their file and says, well, tell me about those migraines that you would come in with. The patient says, they're no better. And he looks at the file and says, now, we talked about doing this, this, and this. Yes, I've done, I'm doing that. And are you doing this? Yes. And are you doing this? Yes. How often do you do it? Every day. And he looks at them and he sees they're telling the truth. They're doing exactly what he recommended. They're taking whatever he recommended, changing their lives the way he recommended. He says, excuse me, closes the file, stands up and walks out, closes the door, takes a deep breath, walks back in and says, hi, I'm Dr. Smith. Dr. Jones asked me to come in and see if I could figure out what's going on because he doesn't have a clue. Let's start from the beginning. And he starts over as if it's day one because he missed something. Somehow he missed something. So that's our foundational premise with functional medicine. You better be feeling better in a short period of time, not that you're healed, but it doesn't matter what you come in with. Maybe it's migraines. Maybe it's seizures. Oh, listen to this. In the Journal of Gastroenterology, they published a paper of children with drug-resistant epilepsy. Now, in order to qualify for drug-resistant epilepsy, you have to have seen at least two different physicians, most of them it's three, and you have to have tried at least two or three different drugs. And the drugs don't work and your child's still getting seizures. Imagine how nasty that is to, for a parent. So these children with drug-resistant epilepsy, 50% of these children with drug-resistant epilepsy go into complete remission on a gluten-free diet. Fifty percent of them. How come our neurologists don't know this? Because it's published in a gastroenterology journal, and neurologists don't read gastroenterology journals. They read neurology journals. So they don't know this. That's the kind of thing where you have to get out of a discipline, a specialty, for the disease you have, and you want to see someone that takes a step back and looks at the big picture. Uh, that's a functional medicine practitioner. And you can find functional medicine practitioners at the website functionalmedicine.org. And then you look for someone that's certified in functional medicine. They've got a little search engine thing you know, to help you find somebody. That it takes three years after you get your medical degree or your chiropractic degree or your osteopathic degree or your acupuncture degree, three more years of study, and then you take the test to get certified in functional medicine. So that's how you do it. So in terms of case studies, there are so many. I mean, Do you have I, one in particular that you could tell us about colon cancer? And colon what form, cancer? What, well, what forms in the colon? You said everything's in the gut. So can you give us a little bit more information about how the improper bacteria has created a tumor, for instance. Sure. One of the things that you know is that when there is a disrupted intestinal milieu, when the environment is way out of balance, you're much more likely to form polyps. So when you get a colonoscopy, 
and your doctor says, oh, you look good, you had a couple of polyps, no big deal. But when you look in the literature, polyps are precancerous. That's the mechanism that contributes to the development of cancer. So don't be fooled by because your doctors don't know what to do when you just have a couple of polyps and there's no cancer in there. They just cut the polyps out. But let's go directly to your question. The fastest growing cells in the body, I said earlier, the inside lining of the intestines. Every three to seven days, you have a whole new lining of your intestines. The fuel for those new cells to build themselves, the fuel is called butyric acid or butyrate. Same thing, butyric acid. Butyric acid is made in your body by the action of the good bacteria in your gut on vegetable fiber. So it, it ferments and it creates these are called short-chain fatty acids um, in vegetable fiber to make butyric acid, which is the raw material to make new cells on the lining of your gut, and it, which happens every three to seven days, a whole new lining to your gut. That is why the studies are very clear. When you have low butyric acid, you have a much higher risk of developing colon cancer. So just go to Google and type in butyric, B-U-T-Y-R-I-C, a good Scrabble word, B-U-T-Y-R-I-C, butyric acid, and colon cancer. And boom, here come the studies. You'll see it. And butyric acid is made, no, you don't need supplements of butyric acid. You need more vegetables, and you need more good bacteria in your gut to convert those vegetables into butyric acid. So that's the best example I can give you of how the microbiome has an effect on the development of colon cancer. Wow. That is so, I could really see how that would would uh, uh, present itself that way. Tell, talk to us a little bit more about the gluten-free diets that, that uh, you would recommend. There, um, uh, Harvard published a study, and it's Dr. Holland, H-O-L-L-O-N, Holland and his team at Harvard, came out last year. And what he showed is that everyone, their words were all humans. So for everyone that's listening, if you do fall under the category of human, this relates to you. They said all humans. Well, I don't think it affects me. I'm sorry, are you human? This is from Harvard. All humans, when they eat wheat, when they're exposed to wheat, they get Intestinal permeability, the leaky gut. Excuse me. I'm going to sneeze. Hold on a minute. False alarm. Okay. All humans get leaky gut whenever they're exposed to wheat. Everyone this happens to. So getting wheat out of your diet is the prerequisite to getting a healthier gut. It's the prerequisite because remember the leaky gut is the gateway into the development of autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid, um, uh, psoriasis, diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. The gateway in the development of these is intestinal permeability, the leaky gut. You'll learn all about that on Betrayal. So go to BetrayalSeries.com and you can register there. It says it's closed, uh, but we just did a little sneak preview uh, and the big event will be coming out November 14th. So going on a gluten-free diet is the prerequisite to getting healthy. That's the first step. That's the first thing to know. But 
Not that wheat's all bad for you, because millions and millions of lives have been saved by going by eating wheat. If there's a famine in Africa, we ship a boatload of wheat over there, you save a lot of lives, right? So people don't die when they eat wheat. They live. They just don't thrive. And it causes all this problem in their gut, so years down the road, they get autoimmune diseases. They're more vulnerable to getting autoimmune diseases. But in our culture... Um, uh, when we eat wheat, we get tears in the intestines. That's the leaky gut. These big molecules get into the bloodstream, and they cause antibodies. That's the inflammation. And then wherever the weak link is in your chain, that's where the inflammation is going to manifest itself. It doesn't matter. Is it a brain cell or a kidney cell? It's the same mechanism. It just depends on where the genetic weak link is. That's what my book is about so that everybody understands it's this mechanism that you want to focus on. You don't focus on the exhaust pipe. Of course you deal with the exhaust pipe blowing black smoke out. Of course you deal with it, but you don't focus there. You focus on where is this coming from? What's the emergency break that's stopping me from being healthy? That's what the book is about so that you can understand this. And when you understand just these big picture ideas, then you start asking more um detailed questions of your doctors and of your health practitioners and you start reading a little bit i recommend that everyone here, here's the premise base hits win the ball game stop going for home runs as a culture we want the quick fix give me the pill i want the cure where's the pill there is no cure a cure means your symptoms go away all the markers of the problem, like blood tests and urine tests, all the pro markers go away, and you can do whatever you want. There is no cure. You can get remission. Remission means your symptoms go away, all the markers of a problem go away, and as long as you live the lifestyle that's gotten you the benefits that you've got, you're going to be fine. And if we wake up and start realizing that that's a rational target is to go into remission, and stop dreaming about a cure, you're going to make headway. You're, you're going to make a lot of headway. I mean, this whole thing about run for the cure, and, you know, there is no cure. How, how can you possibly get a cure for cancer? There's great treatments that help extend life, of course, but if you can prevent the development of cancer, isn't that much better? So in the midst of contributing to our cancer research centers, ask the question, where does this come from? Well, we don't know. Well, yes, we do. Right now, there's 250 pounds. I'm not exaggerating. This is the exact statistic. You'll hear, you'll hear the experts talk about it on betrayal. 250 pounds of toxic chemicals per person per day being imported in the United States. 250 pounds per person per day. If there were 10 people listening to this, that's 2,500 pounds of toxic chemicals per day for the 10 people listening. If there's 100 people listening, that's 25,000 pounds per day. If there's 1,000 people listening, that's 250,000 pounds per person per day being dumped in the U.S. every single day. We didn't have this 30 years ago. This is what's killing us is the toxic environment we're living in. And unfortunately, because of all of these massive toxins that nobody has to prove they're safe, 
Rather, these corporations have gotten our crooked politicians to vote and pass the laws that say we have to prove that they're not safe. Well, in Europe, those things aren't allowed in. They have to be proven safe first. So lots of those chemicals, there's no GMO in Europe, and that's why. You have to prove they're safe. In the United States, you have to prove, we have to prove they're not safe. And they're dumped on the market until we can prove they're not safe. That's what the uh, legislators have passed. But it's 250 pounds per person per day, and this toxic stuff accumulates in their bodies. The average baby born today has 183 toxic chemicals in their bloodstream at birth. I'm not exaggerating. This is the science. 183 toxic chemicals at birth that affect brain function and nerve function and heart function and kidney function. And do we wonder why a million kids a year are getting autism? Uh, this, this toxic, toxic world, so that minor toxins, most of them, most of the food sensitivities are minor toxins, but they're gasoline on the fire once you've crossed a line. That's why the first thing you do is you make sure what's on the end of your fork is safe for you. Then you ask questions like, where else am I throwing gasoline on the fire? That's how you do this. And the result is that you start to get healthier within a couple, three weeks. Wow, that's that's wonderful. You know, several years ago, I um, I heard about something that happened in China 500 years ago. There would be lanterns put on a doctor's house if a person didn't get well. And the only way the doctor could get paid is if the is if the patient got well. Then they could that's be right. paid. That's right. I love that system. <laughs> like, I okay, love I that system that when I heard again. of it. That's right. Well, this has been just illuminating energy tonight. I, I know that all of our listeners are really just hanging on to every word that you have to say. But at this time, I see what time it is. I need to pass you over to Ariel, who has our switchboard. And if there's anyone that wants to call in and talk to you, now's the time to do it. So, Dr. While Tom, they're I doing that, I'd like to say a couple of things. I'd like to ask everyone, please buy my book. You know, it's on Amazon for $16 right now, and they're, they're selling it at a discount because it's generating more traffic to them because people are buying it. Now, and here's the reason why I ask. If I sell enough copies, and I don't know where that number is, but when we sell the right number of copies, we get on the New York Times bestseller list. When I'm on the New York Times bestseller list, I'll get invitations to speak on Ellen's show and Oz and things like that. So it's the, it's the calling card to get the invitations that your book is of value and let's give you a national audience. I need to get this message out to the world. So Absolutely. even if you don't read books, please spend 16 bucks and buy the book just to help. And then if you read a little bit of it, put a comment there on Amazon. Like when you bring the book up, scroll down and there's a section to put comments. The more comments that occur, I'm told the New York Times team looks at the comments on Amazon and Barnes & Noble so that the more comments of, wow, this is really remarkable, which I think it is. I think you'll see it's like what I'm talking about here, that um, the more comments there are, the more likelihood I'm going to get that um, designation of an NYT bestseller. That's when they give you the stamp. That's, that's like the good housekeeping seal of approval, you know. They're saying this is a good book. And that should open up the invitations to the talk show. So uh, I'm just not, and I've I'm, been reading I'm not going to hold back. Past... I just need to ask for that. Yeah, well, I've been reading on this book for the last two weeks, and absolutely I encourage all of our listeners to pick up a copy. 
because it can change your life. It has really opened my eyes to the way that, that, that I've been eating and what's been happening with me. So I want to thank you personally for helping oh, change my life, Dr. Tom. Thank you so much. That's really nice to hear. Thank you. Well, I'll be calling you later this week, and we'll, we'll be talking later in the week. But right now I'd like to um, have you talk to Ariel, my co-host. Okay. You right now. Okay. Well, I am just spellbound <laughs> because you not only have you have the information, but you you use metaphors and analogies so that the common layperson um, really gets it. And, yes. and I so appreciate that. Well, that's from um, my before- mentor, Dr. George Goodhart who is the founder of Applied Kinesiology. You know, that's all the muscle testing that people do. This is oh, the yeah. guy that founded all of that. Uh, we called him the Great Wazoo. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he, he was just a natural healer, and uh, he, he was connected. His energy was just connected. And, and uh, he used to talk about that, that if you can't explain it to an eighth grader, then you don't know it. And so uh, he would just drill it into us that we had to make these visuals, these analogies that were just crystal clear that anyone could understand of the most sophisticated concepts. You don't need to be a geek and talk geek language to people. You know, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Uh, so thank you for that compliment. It really is as a result of Dr. Goodhart that um, I've come up with these. And I, I use these examples in all of my talks with doctors, and I say, you know what, guys, use my analogies, make up your own, but you better have your 30-second elevator speech down about this topic that you're a specialist in so people can understand what it is that you want to accomplish. And so thank you so much for that. Well, teachers have to know how to communicate. It's not just, you know, recitation of what you know. You have to, you know, get it in their brain so they can assimilate and integrate it. So um, at this time, I want to let everyone know that our switchboard is open. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Tom, if you're already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, the number to dial is 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And uh, we have a... We have a caller actually, um, um, what do they say in baseball, on deck? On deck, As soon as they come to the, uh, uh, through the screen room, uh, then we'll have our first caller. But I have two questions myself, um, and I, I want to make sure that I, I heard you correctly, that it is a goal of balance in the gut between the, the good bacteria and the bad, because it sounds to me like if the if the good bacteria is, way dominant that's when you get the um the the uh, the calorie hoarding um it depends it depends like having higher levels of formicutes is life-saving if you live in the environment where you have to hoard all your calories Um, so uh, you would want a higher ratio of formicutes but when you have an abundance of food having a higher ratio of bacterioides species is more healthy, that you're not going to hoard and store every calorie. So it, just, it, it depends on your environment. There's no hard and fast rule for everyone that's the same. But the thing about our guts and what makes us unique as humans, we have the same number of genes as an earthworm. 
you know, we've got 23,000 genes. Earthworm has just a little, just 22,000 or 21,000. Uh, but what makes us different is called epigenetics, what happens around the genes. And that is controlled by the bacteria in our bodies, by your microbiome. That controls the epigenetics. That's why we are the dominant species on the planet in terms of uh, control and ruling the planet and all that. It's because our epigenetics, the bacteria in our gut, have helped us over the millennia to adapt and thrive. So, I mean, for the most part, people in America have an abundance um, of food choices. So in order to um, um, like prevent calorie hoarding, because, I mean, um, obesity and, and, you know, um, excess weight is almost epidemic in our country. Yes. Um, can you can you kind of like give a little bit of a view as to? Um, you bet. You bet. So here's the concept. Uh, because we have such an abundance of food, we get three meals a day. You know, three squares a day, and all that. Um, uh, we have an abundance of food. You can buy a tub of popcorn when you go to the movies. And if you imagine that the size, your, your stomach's the size of your fist. And it can stretch out more than that, but it's the size of your fist. How much food are we supposed to eat at one time? Our ancestors had to forage for food. You know, they didn't get big meals very often, but when they did, their stomach could stretch to accommodate it. So just go to the movies and stand there and watch what people order and what they shovel down there during a movie. And then you wonder, how come I gain weight? Well, what do you think? You know, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, um, you want nutrient-dense food, not calorie-dense food. Nutrient-dense food are vegetables. There's lots of vitamins and minerals in the vegetables. They're nutrient-dense. Calorie-dense food are the whites. White bread, white rice, white sugar, the whites. There's very little vitamins or minerals. They're just a bunch of calories. Oh, but I love my muffins. Well, good. We'll put that on your tombstone. She loved her muffins. You know, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with a gluten-free blueberry muffin once in a while, but it's not healthy for you. It's just white paste. It's not healthy. It's just calories. But there's nothing wrong with having a treat on occasion. You just don't eat that stuff every day. Right. My friend, Dr. Yeah. Terry Walls, is she reversed her own MS. She's a neuroscientist and developed MS. As a neuroscientist, she knew exactly what the cutting-edge treatments were, so she applied the cutting-edge therapies and kept getting worse and worse and worse until seven years into this, she's in a wheelchair. Then she, has someone said to her, hey, wake up. What you're doing isn't working. Oh, but I'm a neuroscientist in the studies. Yeah, but it's not working. You, you, I mean, you can be right and you can be dead. Or you can ask a different question. Well, what question should I ask? Stop treating the exhaust. Where is it coming from? And when she did that, she realized, she found the studies that showed in animals, they reversed MS by changing the diet. She changed her diet, and she reversed her MS to where a year after she started her new diet, she rode her bicycle 20 miles. And she was in a wheelchair, couldn't walk. One year later, she rides her bicycle 20 miles. She said, Tom, I had to stop every five miles and rest, and my family was with me, but we were just so happy. As a result of that, she's at the VA hospital in Iowa, and she treats the vets there that come in, and they're on disability. Either they've lost a limb 
or they've got PTSD, whatever their situation is, they're on disability. They can't function. They've lost that many of them lost their marriages. They can't relate to people. They're messed up from Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran. What does she do with them? She does exactly what she did with herself. Twelve cups of vegetables a day. There's no room for pasta when you have to eat 12 cups of vegetables a day first. Twelve cups of vegetables a day, quality meat, and a quart of bone broth every day. And she's reversing these vets and getting them back to society again to such a degree that the VA system in Washington sent a team out to Iowa say, what are they doing in Iowa? They're getting such great results. How are they doing that? They're the best in the nation. So they went and they saw what Dr. Walls is doing. Just a few months ago, they gave her $1.5 million just to record what she's doing with all of these patients so they can carry this nationally. It's called the Walls Protocol, W-A-H-L-S. And she's got a book on it, um, uh, it's, and she's in betrayal. I interviewed her in betrayal so that you can hear her talk about all this. And it's 12 cups of vegetables a day and a quart of bone broth. And so, you know, we just have to wake up that you have to stop treating the exhaust pipe people. Yeah. Of course you want to ad- address the exhaust pipe so you feel better, but you have to ask, where is it coming from? Absolutely. Well, we have our caller um, ready to go. You're going to be talking to Philip, and let me get your mic open here. Hi, Philip. Welcome to the show. You're on the air with Dr. Tom. Hello. Hello, Hello. Philip. So, um, wonderful show. I really enjoyed it, and I really must say this um, is really some good information that I think we really have to get out there because um, so many people are suffering from, you know, different conditions and Yes. I think this is really something that can change so many lives, and, yeah, I really support that. Thank you, Philip. That's what I meant earlier when I said if I get a million people to attend betrayal, um, then we will move the needle of awareness in traditional medicine. So traditional medicine will start thinking like this. But I need a yes. million people in attendance. So please register for betrayal at betrayalseries.com and tell your friends and family. I mean, be be a nutcase about this, you know. Play it, pay it forward so that we can help this world get a bigger picture of how to deal with the health conditions that we're dealing with today. Yeah, all right. Thank so, you so much uh, for your ask, comments. Yeah, I want to ask my question real quick. And of course, of course. I, I was wondering, what, what do you know about um, sprouted or soaked wheat, and can you comment on soaking or sprouting in general? Yes, of course. The concept of sprouting in general is an excellent one, that you activate enzymes in that young, fertile seed that's just wanting to get, get a grasp on the earth and grow and grow and grow. So you get many more enzymes when you sprout your grains, you know, as an example, or your seeds, depending on what you're doing. Uh, but sprouted wheat has the proteins of wheat. And so if your immune system says, you got a problem with wheat, you got a problem with wheat because you still have the proteins. Now, with wheatgrass juice, that's a common question. The genes to turn on the production of proteins in the wheatgrass get activated somewhere around day 17. So if you harvest your wheatgrass around day 11, 12, maybe 13, you're safe. You're not going to get any protein. You're just going to get the chlorophyll and the active enzymes and the healthy, vibrant uh, components of wheatgrass. 
But if you buy commercial wheatgrass, they let the grass grow taller because they get more juice out of it. <laughs> and so you're not, you don't know when they harvested and the likelihood of getting the proteins, which your immune system is going to be fighting, that's general gluten uh, in, uh, in your body, your immune system is going to be fighting that, then you're going to have the same reaction as if you're eating bread. Okay. So sprouting makes no difference for the immune system. It, it, correct. It makes a difference in the digestibility, but once you're turned on to fight the proteins, when you eat the protein, you're, you're going to activate the immune system. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. And this was my question, and I really want to uh, share this message because it really resonates deeply, and I believe uh, this is one of the first steps to you know, become healthy again. Thank you, Philip. I, I, I agree completely. Thank you for that uh, validation. All right. Thank okay. you. Well, thanks for, thanks for calling in, Philip. It's good to hear your voice again. Thank you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we have a, another caller um, in a minute here. So um, I'm, just, I'm just, okay, all right, <laughs> waiting to see that they were through. So, um Next, we are going to be talking to Amanda, and um, and then I'll have a question after that. So I don't know how many more questions we can take, but let me get your <laughs> mic open. Okay. Amanda, welcome to the show. You're on the air with Dr. Tom. Hi. How are you both doing? Great. Hi, Amanda. having me. Hello. Um, I'm calling in because I actually have Hashimoto's, um, and I've been doing a lot of research, you know, about gut health and just recently, a few days ago, uh, I ran across some articles about fasting and how that could potentially improve your gut health and perhaps your autoimmune disease. And I wondered how you felt about that, your perspective on that. Yeah, fasting is because you stop throwing toxins in there and your body has a little stronger chance of detoxing, detoxifying whatever's in there. That's why fasting is so one reason why fasting is so helpful. When you have an autoimmune disease already, your body is in a deficit, right? Your immune system is killing mm -hmm. off your thyroid. And so to put it under more stress is not a great recommendation. Uh, what we've done with right. a lot of patients is that we give, them, we give them some extra support for detoxifying. There are some great protein powders that do that. Uh, one is called Ultra Clear and Ultra Clear Plus and you find those online most anywhere. They're detoxification protein powders that help. So we put patients on a restricted eating style uh, with just some vegetables, a little bit of quality protein, no lunch meats, no bacon, nothing like that, but like, you know, or, organic chicken or, or wild salmon, um, but just mildly eating, not a lot, but just real quality food while they're taking detox protein powders and you get a much safer result than um, uh, when you do fasting in a situation like yours. However, uh, there, if, if you've been searching, and you probably saw this, but if not, just type into Google Hashimoto's and gluten, and you'll see mm -hmm. all of the studies. That it, it's the prerequisite for every, every functional medicine doctor. Uh, when a Hashimoto's patient comes in, the prerequisite is put them gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar-free. That's the prerequisite. Right. And many times the antibody load starts coming down automatically. And it sounds like you, you are aware of that. 
The other thing that you must consider is check your selenium levels, that if your selenium levels are low, 200 micrograms of selenium a day has been shown in the studies to um, uh, reduce TPO antibodies within six months. But if your selenium levels are normal, don't take extra selenium. So you have to check first to see. It's a red blood cell selenium test. You have to check first to see what your selenium levels are. If they're low, bring them up. And, of course, the other thing you have to bring up is vitamin D. Every autoimmune <laughs> disease, you want to bring up your vitamin D levels. You want them between 50 and 75 NG, that's nanograms. 50 to 75 is the autoimmune protocol. When you're dealing with autoimmune disease, get your vitamin D up to that range, and it always helps. Thank you so much. That's your, what you said about fasting makes so much more sense to me. I was worried about it putting a strain on my body. And yeah, like there you, said, you go. There you go. Now, please pay perfect, it forward. So. Please sign up for Betrayal. Pay it forward. Tell your friends. Help me get this message out so that we can help save the planet. Please. I will. I, thank Great. you so much, and I, I will. And I'm going to look into your book as well. So. Great. High thank five you to you, girl. Thank you so much for taking, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for taking my call. You both have a nice evening. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling, Amanda, and you will feel better. That's okay. So, um, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I, I, I had another another question. Um, I thought that you had mentioned um, just in, in passing high blood pressure. Yes. Do you have something about that in your book? Uh it doesn't matter where the smoke is coming out the exhaust pipe. It doesn't matter. The protocol is the same, that to begin with, you have to stop throwing gasoline on the fire. And with high blood pressure especially, you have to do that. There are many excellent protocols to address high blood pressure, but that's treating the exhaust pipe. And you want to do that, of course. I'm not saying don't treat the high blood pressure. Of course you do. But we caution all our patients with high blood pressure that, now this is patient, at some point down the road, it might be in a couple of weeks, it might be in a couple of months, you're going to stand up and you're going to get dizzy. As soon as that happens to you for the first time, you call your doctor and you say, doctor, I've changed my diet, I'm taking a couple of vitamins, I need to come in because I'm getting dizzy when I stand. That means the dose of the blood pressure medication is too high and your blood pressure is going too low. So you go in, and your doctor's going to reduce the dose of your medication. And you say, would you please work with me, doctor, and just monitor me over the next few months so maybe, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to wean off of this medication with your blessing. But don't throw your doctor away. Don't throw your medication away. Of course you take your blood pressure medication, but as you reduce the need for the blood pressure medication, you don't need as much, and for many people, you don't need any after a while. So well, I guess I should have said, is there a connection between gluten and high blood pressure? Oh, my goodness, yes. Or, if you, yes, okay. Yes, if, if, if you just Google uh, gluten and high blood pressure, uh, yeah, you'll see the studies. And if you want the studies directly, you go to PubMed. stands for Public Medical Information, PubMed.gov. It's the National Library of Medicine, and it opens up on the search engine. And just type in gluten and high blood pressure and see what happens. And you will go, oh, my gosh, look at this. So, yes, there is a connection. 
Um, as I, uh, oh, I don't think I told you this story. I was going to tell it to you, but I didn't tell it to you. And that is, um, in most of the uh, talks I give now uh, to different doctor groups, I start with this case study. This is a three-year-old girl that was diagnosed with celiac disease. That's a gluten sensitivity that manifests um, in the gut, and it chews up your gut. And uh, uh, when, uh, in order to diagnose that, they, the doctor had to do an endoscopy. That's a tube down the, uh, down the mouth, down the throat, into the stomach, into the intestines. And uh, uh, they look at the intestines, and they pull out a little piece of intestines to look at under a microscope. By the way, I just went to PubMed.gov and typed in gluten and hypertension as high blood pressure, and there are 36 studies that just popped up immediately, 36 on that. So this little girl, um, when they did the, the endoscopy to see that she had celiac disease, the doctor said, there's something wrong with your daughter's eye. You need to see an ophthalmologist right away. I'm going to get you in with an ophthalmologist. So they were in the ophthalmologist's office the next week. And after being, uh, so the ophthalmologist takes a picture of the eye, and you, you see the picture in the medical journal article, little girl's looking down, you know, her pupil's looking down, and they lift up the upper eyelid, and so in the upper part of the eyeball, you see this ugly, mucousy tumor uh, with blood vessels going to it uh, uh, on the surface of the eyes, called a conjunctival tumor. So the authors wrote, um, they thought this was Kaposi's sarcoma. That comes from HIV. That's cancer from HIV because mom was HIV positive. But the little girl was not HIV positive. So they said, what is this? We don't know. Well, parents, we're going to have to do a biopsy of your daughter's eye, and we're going to have to put her under a general anesthetic to do that. The parents said, no, no, no. Our daughter had a general anesthetic last week for the celiac diagnosis, and she had a reaction to the medication. She hasn't quite recovered yet. We need to wait a little bit of time to let her body recover, then we'll come back in. So they came back the next week. The doctor's about to put her under uh, a general to do the biopsy of the eye, and he takes a look at the eye and he says, wait a minute. And he pulls out the picture. Thank God he had taken a picture the week before. He pulls out the picture, and he says, this eye is better. So it was, uh, he said, let's just watch this. And he had him come back a number of times to watch it and it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until two months later, the tumor was gone, completely gone. So they wrote their article, said, we thought this was Kaposi sarcoma, and then we were going to do biopsy to, to identify what type of cancer it was. And on a gluten-free diet, it went completely away in two months. Nine months later, it had not come back. We decided to write this article. So you reversed cancer in the eye, a conjunctival tumor, diagnosis Kaposi sarcoma on a gluten-free diet. Is there anything that might not be helped by a gluten-free diet? No, there is not. It would be very foolish to say everything is caused by gluten sensitivity. That's nonsense. But it's rational to say anything may be caused by a gluten sensitivity. It just depends on where the weak link is in the chain. You keep throwing gasoline on the fire, you're going to break at the weakest link, wherever it is, including hypertension, including skin problems. It doesn't matter what it is. Wow. You have such a grasp on the big picture 
while still being able to keep all the details organized. I love that. Oh, thank you. That really is um, uh, the gift that I got from Dr. Goodhart, and I've been practicing this for 30 years. And and it's really my message, you know. Uh, This is my passion in life is to get this message out. This book is 30 years of my life. Uh, to carry this message out. And now now betrayal, um, if everyone helps me, uh, if this radio station helps me, and all of the listeners help me, and you carry this message out, if you think what I'm saying makes sense, please go out of your way to get people to register for this. Um, the more people, the better. I know I, know I was told there's 500,000 people listening to this interview or who will hear this interview Please, please register for betrayal. You'll be so grateful you did. You know, we did a uh, a soft launch of betrayal, meaning a sneak peek, and we did it just to uh, my list and a couple of other people. And so we had 26,000 people that attended. And I, I I read the comments every night. There were thousands of comments that came in. People were crying. They were just so grateful. Three people said. I'm not going to commit suicide because I have hope now. Thank you so much. And you know, oh. that just brings that brings tears to my eyes. So um, it's free. It's free. I'm not making anything on this. It's free. So please consider registering and get your family and friends here. Go out of your way. Be a be a thorn in the side for people you think that aren't happy with the health that they currently have. If we get a million people, we will move the needle of awareness in traditional medicine, not alternative medicine, in traditional medicine. We'll move the needle of awareness so that January of next year, so many more journals are going to be talking about this concept of what's called the prodromal period, the early period of autoimmunity. I'll give you the example of what that means because it's worth understanding. Melissa Arbuckle is an MD, PhD. I think she's at Johns Hopkins. I think so. And she went to the VA hospital in 2002, and she looked for people with lupus. That's an autoimmune disease. She found 130 people in this VA hospital with lupus. So if they're in the VA system, they're veterans. If they're veterans, they were in the armed forces. If they're in the armed forces, they had their blood drawn many times when they were in the Navy or the Air Force and what most people don't know is the government's been saving all of that blood since 1978. They've got tens of millions of samples of our service people's blood. So Arbuckle went to the VA and asked for permission to look at the blood of the currently diagnosed lupus patients when they were healthy back in the Air Force or the Navy. She got permission. What did she find out? Every single lupus patient... Now, there are seven antibodies to lupus, seven different antibodies that may cause lupus. Every single patient had the antibodies elevated five years, seven years, nine years before they ever had a symptom. And that just makes sense because when the antibodies are elevated, you're killing off tissue. And you have to kill off enough tissue. It takes years. You have to kill off enough tissue before you get symptoms. And then when you get symptoms, you eventually go to the doctor, and it took six months to two years to get a diagnosis after they got the symptoms. But when did they get lupus? They got the diagnosis of lupus when they finally went to a doctor that knew what it was. But when did they get lupus? They got lupus years earlier when the antibodies were elevated. 
That's called the prodromal period. When your antibodies are elevated, killing off tissue, remember I said Alzheimer's is a decades-long process, the antibodies are elevated, killing off tissue years before you ever have symptoms. You just have to kill off enough tissue that you start getting symptoms because the organ can't function very well anymore. So that's the prodromal period. That's what's going on for all of us. That's the weak link in the chain. When you find out what the weak link is in your chain, then you can say, whoa, I, I need to do something about this. This is what's causing the black smoke coming out my exhaust pipe as symptoms. This is it. How do I fix this? And that's the question that we need to ask is how do I fix where it's coming from? Is wheat the only source of gluten? Uh, no, that's a really good question. Um, gluten is not bad for you. Bad gluten is bad for you. That gluten okay. is the name. Gluten is the name of a family of proteins. There's gluten in rice. There's gluten in corn. There's gluten in quinoa. There's gluten in buckwheat. But it's the gluten in wheat, rye, and barley that is the problem. Those are the proteins that the human body doesn't have the scissors to break down. The gluten in corn, some people are sensitive to corn. That's true. Uh, that's true. But it's, it's a different discussion. It's not this discussion about gluten sensitivity. It's really the wrong word to use, gluten sensitivity, because there's gluten in other grains also. But that's what we're stuck with is that word. Okay. And... I mean, is there is there a t I mean, a lot of gluten free products that I've tried, um they they really um they they don't taste good. They taste like cardboard. So, they taste right. like cardboard, yeah, I was gonna say that. But is there um if you made if you made bread out of out of you said like buckwheat or, or rice or something like in that, my book you would not it, it, In my then, book. Right. In my book, there's, some there's a whole section on recipes. There's great recipes, recipes oh, for cookies, for bread, for sandwiches, for pancakes. They're delicious. Now, don't think that they're healthy for you. Now, now, actually, most of them are, like the tiger nut cookies are really good for you because it's nut flour and it's high in protein. But the gluten-free products in general, the gluten-free spaghettis and the pastas and stuff, there's some good-tasting ones out there now. But there's not nutrient in it. They're not enriched. They're not um, uh, full of vitamins and minerals. They're calorie-dense, which is what contributes to weight gain. So having a little pasta once in a while. I have pasta about once every two weeks. I'm half Italian. I grew up on this. My grandparents used to make <laughs> ravioli and spaghetti and you know everything. And so every once in a while I like to have some. It's fine. Once a, you, you just can't have this stuff every day. What you have to have every day, as Terry Walls will tell you, 12 cups of vegetables a day, a quart of bone broth, you know, some healthy proteins, healthy meats, grass-fed beef, uh, free-range chickens, things like that, and um, uh, you're much, much safer. Wow. You know, we're going to have to have you come back on because um, we're just about out of time, and I'm sure there's a lot more that we could learn from you, but I want to take the few minutes that we have left and reiterate um, November 14th through the 20th, register at betrayalseries.com, and each one of you listening, tell at least two other people to do yes. the same thing. Please. And, yeah. and all of us um, at the same at Amazon, 
um, get the book, The Autoimmune Fix. And um, as Dr. Tom said, this is not about, you know, revenue. It's about getting the word out there because we are being poisoned slowly. Yes. All of us. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and write a comment on Amazon. Write a comment, please. Anything you want to say. Well, yeah, no, anything is fine. (laughs) Whatever you want to say there is fine. (laughs) Just come from the heart and it will be good. That's right. Just please please help me. Please help me carry this message out. Well, um, okay, all of you Starseed listeners, you're now um, um, crusaders. (laughs) Crusaders for Dr. Tom, and let's do what we can to get behind this and and get those get those numbers for the visibility. Yes. For the visibility yes. of this information and and the conglomerate the not conglomeration collaboration that you have with 29 world experts um this is this is a major event everybody so please um you can check out the doctor.com and that's just the dr.com which is Dr. Tom's website there's also the glutensummit.com, which is about the, the 29 world experts on the gluten connection to diseases. And upcoming, um, by the way, this, this November 14th to the 20th, this is over Pleiadian lineup, which is a huge um, astrological, astronomical alignment. That, oh, um, it is? That, oh, yes, great. it is. Yes, great. it is. And that, yeah, that's, when you said that, it's like, okay. He probably doesn't know this, but he's right on time anyway. All right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Thank you, angels. Huge, yes, it's a huge alignment with higher energies um, from off the planet. So um, good timing on that. And please, everybody, let's get behind Dr. Tom and get this message out there because we all know somebody. We all know somebody that needs to know this. So extend a helping hand in both directions. Yes. Thank you. So, um with that we got a little bit of squirrely stuff on the line, but at least it held off until now. Yes. Uh, I want to thank you so much for your lifetime dedication to this, for the information that you bring out and the passion that you share as you teach vital information. We so appreciate what you're doing here. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You are welcome, and I'm serious. You need to come back. So get with Lavendar, and uh, um, you know maybe after the the betrayalseries.com, betrayalseries.com, let us know how that goes. You can come back yes, just for course. a few minutes and let Happy us too. keep us updated on what's new with you. Good, I will. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. And now from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, I thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. And every day, please remember to count your blessings and live in grace. Good night. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 